He's been going and meeting with God and saying, God, I don't understand why this promise hasn't been fulfilled. What's going on? And God says, I am faithful to my promise. Don't worry. My blessings are abundant to come. Welcome to Elevate Retake. My name is Danae, and I'm going to be your host for this season. Now, on Elevate Retake, you can expect to hear the biblical messages of Michael Gibson. He's the pastor for Elevate, which is a community fellowship in Keene Church. Now, I want you to experience faith as that continual everyday process of learning. It doesn't just happen once. We need to learn more about the Bible, helps us learn more about ourselves, and ultimately our goal to learn more about God. And I believe this podcast will be just what you need to come a little bit closer in your relationship with God and make it real. If you haven't listened to the first few episodes of this season yet, you would definitely want to. Today, we continue Wandering, our very first season that follows the wandering life of Abraham, the patriarch of Genesis. This episode asks the question, what does faith look like? Sometimes faith is pretty tangible and can be seen very clearly. Other times, especially when we encounter hard circumstances, faith slips under the radar and we struggle to grasp it. We're going to shift focus for this episode from Abraham to Hagar and follow her experience in faith. Let's join Pastor Michael for today's episode, The Promise Abused. Welcome home. There's always room for one more. Glad you're here this morning. I do have to admit that I feel a little bit uncomfortable because there's no space for me to step out here this morning. Normally I'm standing over about here except like three feet up. So bear with me as I uh, pick a step this morning that um, is comfortable for me. Our engaged question a few moments ago up on the screen, what does faith look like? Hope you've had an opportunity to, to think about that question, to maybe share with your neighbor, maybe post something somewhere. But at its core, we talk in church and, and faith communities and the Bible, we talk about faith and what does that truly look like? How can we turn something that is almost intangible, something that cannot be seen and help it to be seen? Jesus, a few times, talked about faith. One of his favorite ways to describe faith was to say, hey, if you have faith like a mustard seed, and we could picture in our mind just a tiny little bit of something. So if you take that tiny little bit of something, you point it in the right direction, you'll have the faith to move mountains. And if you were here last week in our first service or our third service, Pastor Rick talked about the faith it takes to fly on airplanes. And even more so, the faith it takes to fly on airplanes now with a greater risk to your health. But by paying the ticket fee, by going through security, by walking onto that plane, you put your faith and your trust in someone that you have never met to take you to a place that you trust that they will take you and to land you safely there for the purpose that you went to go. What does faith look like? Came across a story this week, the idea of faith Imagine for a moment a little boy who gets a kite for his birthday. Now he's about three or four years old, so he's super excited because, man, birthdays are fun. It doesn't even matter, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just, it's fun because it's a birthday and I get this thing. And he sees the kite. He says, Dad, what do we do with this? And Dad says, well, we take it down to the park and we hope there's wind and we put this big kite up and it's going to fly. And the boy says, well, I, I, I don't know how that's going to work, but I, I can't wait to try it. And they get out there, and he's a little bit unsure at first, but his dad confidently reassures him, and the kite drifts up into the sky. 
little boy loves to see that. And he says to his dad, I knew it would fly, Daddy. I was unsure at first, but I knew it would fly. You know why? Because you said it would. That faith, it's a simple statement, but with profound implications for our own lives. So we're wandering through Scripture in Genesis Last week we looked at Genesis 15, today we're looking at Genesis chapter 16, part 4, the promise abused. Keep in your mind a picture of faith. What does faith look like? Because for every one of us sitting in this room, we often will have a different picture of faith. But just like the stained glass that's peeking through the sides over here, as we put our pictures of faith together, it begins to create this beautiful mosaic of a God who is faithful, faithful to his promises and faithful to everything that he gives to us. Last week, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 on the screen for you, it was Abraham that believed in the Lord and he, that's God, reckoned it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. The story of Abraham who receives this incredible promise, this incredible promise from God and he says, yes, God, I believe Today we're going to look at Abraham's response to his declaration of faith in Genesis chapter 16. So before we open up God's word, I invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray and invite the author of scripture to be with us. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this time and space and this gathering that we affectionately call Elevate. We thank you for being here with us. And today, God, as we open up your words, your scripture, we pray that you, the author of scripture, will sit down beside us, each and every one of us, and whisper into our ears the words that you would have us hear, so that we might come closer to you and bring into focus our picture of faith. We leave everything else in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Genesis chapter 16. Verse 1, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And we have to stop right there because we must remember the context that this verse comes after. And if you missed out on last week, that's okay, we missed you, but we're glad you're here this morning because last week, Genesis chapter 15, Abraham has this incredible encounter with God where God is showing up and showing out and showing him that his promises are faithful and true. I forgot to bring my teddy bear and scissors this morning. I thought we might demonstrate that once again. But Abraham sees God, very real God, who's promising him generations to follow after, promising him a place for his family. And in his mind, that only comes if his wife is able to have a child. And we open up verse 16 with some unfortunate circumstances. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. The doubt starts to creep in. The picture of faith that Abraham had from God, yes, God, I can see that, but do you understand my circumstances? The Bible writer sets us up as well in the second half of that verse. And she, that Sarai, had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. If you're familiar with this story, you know where we're headed. But can you imagine for a moment, at this time, Abram has been in the promised land for at least 10 years. 
God has promised over and over again his faithfulness, and he just hasn't seen it. It's almost that experience that Abraham had, seeing the the animals divided and walking through them and seeing God pass through them as a covenant of his faithfulness is almost as if that starts to blur and the pixels of the screen warp. They blur back into what is reality. Reality comes into focus and the reality of no children and the opportunity to not have children sets in. And Sarai, who's been in the background, steps into the forefront of this story. She comes to the front. It's God and Abraham who have been wandering from the known to the unknown thus far in the story in Genesis. But now it's Sarai's turn. It's time for her to stand up, and she steps into the pilot seat. Genesis chapter 16, verse 2. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I'll obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, this by no means is any good attempt at having children. Yes, this was a culturally acceptable practice at the time that men would have multiple wives, but that, even if it was culturally acceptable at the time, was not part of God's plan. And not to mention, Sarai blames God for her predicament. She says, it's, God, it's God's fault that I'm in this way. It's God's fault that I can't bring you a child. Amen. It's God's fault. Have you ever been in that position? The difficulty of life bearing fruit. You say, God, it's, it's your fault. You're the reason this has happened. You're the reason that we can't have kids. You're the, the reason that I, I don't have money right now. You're the reason I lost my job. We so often point fingers at a God who has promised an abundant life because we haven't seen fulfillment yet. And Sarai begins to tiptoe away from God's promises to human strategies. And she herself is not even sure that this solution is going to work. She says, please go into my mate and perhaps I will obtain a child through her. Now often, Sarai is characterized in this story as someone who just kind of takes charge and she's like, yes, this is the way, this is what's going to happen, we're going we're to make this happen and go forward. But in my reading of this passage, even this week, began to dawn on me that there might be another perspective we can see of Sarai. Maybe she's hopeful, she doesn't understand God's promises, and she says, maybe, maybe this will work. Maybe this is the direction that God is leading us. Maybe, maybe we should go this way. It seems mostly good. But just like the, the commercials, uh, was, was it Geico? Just okay is not okay, right? In this situation, this is, this is okay, but just okay is not okay. And maybe, just maybe in this time, she's wandering and wondering of her own accord, saying maybe this, this is the plan that God has brought us to. As this verse finishes up, it tells us that Abraham has shifted his listening ear from God to his wife. Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So far, he's been listening to the voice of God. He's been going and meeting with God and saying, God, I don't understand why this promise hasn't been fulfilled. What's going on? And God says, I am faithful to my promise. Don't worry. My blessings are abundant. They're coming. 
says, okay, God, I get that, yeah, yeah, but about those promises again. God says, it's okay, I'm faithful, my promises are coming. It goes on like that for 10 years. And imagine his despair as they try and try again to have a child, and it simply doesn't happen. And over, those course, over the course of those 10 years, Abraham shifts his listening ear from God to his wife. Now, gentlemen, we need to listen to our wives. I'm not saying that. They keep us out of trouble. But in moments like this, when God has given us a direction to shift our allegiance and our listening ear to something else can cause great havoc in our lives. Genesis chapter 16, verse 3. After Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abraham's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abraham as his wife. 10 years. 10 years. All right, God, we've had enough. We're going to try on our own. It's here that the promise of God starts to become abused. As Abram and Sarai take into their own hands the future of their calling that God has placed on their lives. And caught in the middle is Hagar. And notice, she's an Egyptian. Abram and Sarai likely brought her into their household when they had visited Egypt ten years earlier. As they're wondering about God, has God brought us to Canaan? Has he not? She's with them and she's caught up in the midst of this. She didn't ask for it, but their choices have put her in a bad position. Have your choices ever put somebody else in a compromising position? Or have you been compromised by somebody else's choices? Throughout this passage, Sarai mentions over and over again the name of God, talking about God, but God remains absent from her life. God never speaks to her, nor does she speak to him. She only speaks about God. And may it never be in our lives that we go on speaking about God, speaking about his work, speaking about what he's done, that we never take the time to speak to God and to hear his voice. That our Christian identity, our identity as Seventh-day Adventists, will be defined by our relationship with a God who cares and who wants to come closer to us. Genesis chapter 16, verse 4. Abram went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Hagar actually turns on Sarah here, and in verse 5, Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done me be upon you. I gave you my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Sarai and Abraham in this moment realize that they have made a grave mistake. They're caught in the midst of their allegiance to their own plans and their devotion to the covenant faithfulness of God. It's likely that Sarah's deficiency in her relationship with God and with her husband may explain her humiliating treatment with Hagar. Because in the very next few verses, Genesis chapter uh, 16, verse 6, Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. And so Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Sarai is the one that brought Hagar into this awful situation, and Sarai is the one that ultimately runs 
Hagar off. Often violence and oppression against others derive from our own failure in our relationship with God. When we're mean and vindictive to other people, we might be struggling with things on the inside in our relationships with other people. We don't dare bring that against God or against our close friends and family, but those people that are expendable, those we can shun and we can turn away. Abraham and Sarai, Abram and Sarai in this moment are at a crossroads. They're at a place where the promise of God has not been fulfilled. They have not received the promised son and generations to follow. But I give you this morning and I offer this before you that even in the face of the unfulfilled, we must stay faithful. This plan that they had devised for themselves didn't work out caused a rift in their relationship between Abram and Sarai, between Sarai and Abram, between Hagar and Sarai, between Hagar and Abram, between God and them. And it just, ah, this would be a great like reality TV show, right? But at its core, it speaks to just a slight miss in their allegiance to God, to maybe, maybe, maybe this is the plan. And they get slightly off course, and it causes them to miss the mark, even in the face of, of the unfulfilled, when the promises of God have not been fulfilled in our life, we must stay faithful. And then there's Hagar. She's the one that's left off to the side. She's the one that's mistreated. Yes, she despised her mistress. She got elevated to the status of wife, and she says, hey, look at me now. But Sarah had no right to treat her as she did, and Hagar runs away. Verse 7, Genesis chapter 16. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. Verse 7 is the first time in chapter 16 that God shows up in the story. So far it's been Abram and Sarai that have been directing the future, and God shows up not to Abram and to Sarai, but to Hagar. And by the way, she had almost made it to Egypt by this time. Shur is located to the west and south of Canaan, close to the Egyptian border. She was going back home. But it's the angel of the Lord who found her there. That's the first time that this term, the angel of the Lord, is mentioned in Scripture. Scholars have debated back and forth, but the general consensus is that this angel of the Lord is in fact Jesus himself before he became the incarnation to mankind. Jesus shows up and finds Hagar at her lowest point. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, if you feel like you've been wronged by someone else, Jesus is anxiously waiting to seek you out and to find you. And he'll come find you in your lowest moment. Verses continue on. Verse 8. He said to Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. God knew. Jesus knew where she was headed. Jesus knew where she had come from. But he's wanting her to articulate to him her circumstances so that she can come to grips with who she is and where she's come to. And it's at this moment in time, in Hagar's lowest moment, God is about to do something incredible. Verse 9. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. What? The lady that got me into this mess? The one that invited me into this like weird love triangle with Abraham and Sarah? Like 
I got dismissed and she hated me? You're telling me to go back? God says, yes. I share this story this morning not to say in your own life if you are in or have gone through an abusive relationship to go back to your abuser. But in this moment, God used a woman who was caught in the midst of a bad situation to go back to the people who had brought her that situation to bring redemption and reconciliation. And God says this, moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Verse 10, the angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you are with child and you will bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. Verse 11 or verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and, his, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in the east of all his brothers. We see the evidence of this in the rest of Abraham's life. That even though Abram chose a different path than what God had chosen for him, God still honored the offspring of Abram. God kept his word. In this moment, speaking to Hagar, whose son inside of her womb is Abram's. God says, don't worry, my blessing will cover you. My faithfulness is there for you in this moment and in this time. And this is how Hagar responds. Verse 13. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For she says, have I remained alive here after seeing him? Verse 14. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Ro'i, well of the living who sees. Behold, it's between Kadesh and Bered. And in this moment, Hagar has an incredible experience with God. And note, Abram and Sarai have been calling her by the name Maid. And it's the angel of the Lord who comes to Hagar and calls her by name. God is the one who truly understood her circumstances and the place where she was. Everyone else had seen her as just a maid. She's, yeah, she's just a maid. Some piece of property that they could do whatever with. But God took the time to see her and to redeem her. I don't know where you are this morning in your walk with God. You may feel like Abram and Sarai. You might feel like Hagar. But God is a God who calls you by name. He's a God who sees you. No matter where you are, no matter what circumstance comes your way, God sees you. He sees your struggle. He sees your pain. He sees everything that you're going through and he says, my child, and he says your name. Our names are important. There's another story of a little boy who goes to school, and the school said, hey, parents, could you um, put a name tag on your child, write on the front their name, and put on the back the location um, where they need to be picked up. So hops on the bus, got his name tag on, gets to school. The kids are kind of snickering a little bit, and the teachers are kind of wondering what's going on. And they look over at the boy's name tag. Like, oh, this is kind of funny, but it, it, it'll be all right. And the teachers kind of call the other students around and say, hey, you know, we live in, in interesting times and parents are naming their kids interesting names. And so today, let's embrace Fruit Stand. Um, and it's, it's going to be all right. It's, it's a little weird. It's okay, but it's going to be all right. So they go throughout the day and they're, they're scratching their heads too because this little boy seems like he might be deaf or might be a little slow at learning or something because he's not really responding to his name. 
Uh, and it gets down to the end of the day, and the teacher comes over, uh, and she says, fruit stand, where, where, where are you going to be picked up at, at the end of the day? And she, you're about to get on the bus. And he doesn't really talk to her, and she says, well, let me check on the back, see where he's going to be picked up. Flips the name tag over, and it says Levi. Some of you caught that. Some of you catch it later. That entire day, the boy had not been called by his name. He had been called by the location where he was going to be picked up. And imagine how he felt. Imagine how demoralizing that was to become inhuman around a group of people that were supposed to be loving and caring of fellow humans. God called Hagar by name. He wanted her to know that she was loved by him. A moment ago, I said, even in the face of unfulfilled, of the unfulfilled, we must stay faithful. And for Hagar, even in the face of the unfaithful, we must stay faithful. As our praise team joins me back up on stage as we close out this morning, I want to leave you with this. Because above the interpersonal relationship dynamics that happen in this story between Abram and Sarai and Hagar, there's a bigger story and a bigger narrative taking place. Paul picks this up in Galatians chapter 4, verse 22. It says this, for it is written that Abraham had two sons. We're going to talk about Isaac in a couple of weeks. One by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. The bondwoman was Hagar. She's the one that was enslaved by Abram and Sarai. The free woman was Sarai. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. Next verse. This is allegorically speaking, of course, for these women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar, in verse 25. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. That's kind of weird, Paul's allegorizing here, but he's trying to create this dichotomy. He's saying, whenever we go about things against God's will and try to, by our own works, establish God's plans, it will get us nowhere. The situation that Hagar was in was that exact thing. Abram and Sarai were the the ones who chose Hagar's fate and were trying to claim God's promises through their own plan. Paul says, hey, some of you are enslaved in that way and that you're trying to work out your salvation through your works. Maybe if I try this good thing, maybe if I try that good thing, maybe God will love me more. But remember, Hagar is the one that's met by God in love and in faithfulness. God is faithful to his covenant. He comes towards her and shares with her love beyond any imagination. Abram and Sarai were trying to earn that promise of God through their efforts instead of waiting for what God had promised through grace. God was calling them to remain faithful and says, my grace covers it all 100% completely. If they had stuck to the plan, they would have been blessed. We can't earn God's grace no matter how hard we try. We'll just end up messing up situations like Abram and Sarai did and creating this bad situation. God wants us to be faithful, even in the face of the unfulfilled and even in the face of the unfaithful. If God said it was to happen, 
it must be so. We have to rely on that trust and faith in God. In this story, what does faith look like? It didn't look like Abram and Sarai trusting God and saying, Hagar, you're the, you're the one to carry this on because that just spiraled down. But even next week, we'll see what that covenant faithfulness looks like, that trust in God. Because God's the one who's called us. He's got a plan for our lives. You've got to trust him. Sometimes it's going to take 10 years. Sometimes it's going to take 15 years. Sometimes even for the children of Israel when they were stuck in Babylon, God says, it's going to be 70 more years. But I'm faithful. Don't worry about it. Live your life as I've called you. Claim the promises as if they've already happened so that when they do, you will see my faithfulness. No matter what you're going through this morning, no matter what promise you say, God, if you had only come through already, I posit to you this morning this thought, that if, that if God has said it, it must be true and it will happen. You may have to go through some stuff this world is filled with stuff, but if God said it, he'll hold to his promises. We've got to be faithful to those promises in the face of unfulfillment and in the face of unfaithfulness. We must stick to the promises. I really like that first story of the dad and the kite. It just kind of reemphasizes to me that I need to let God do the understanding and me the trusting because his ways are so much higher than mine. I cannot expect to understand his ways, but I need to be determined that God is right in all that he does. And that's it. End of story. You know, it's natural to make a picture in your mind of what you think it's possible for God to do, but maybe it's a good idea to resist having a picture at all because it could cause us to try to make God's promises possible ourselves like Abraham and Sarah tried to do. What seems to be a slight delay could actually be the very testing of our faith, preparing us for what's coming. So a good question I'd ask myself is, you know, where is my allegiance? Where is all of my allegiance? What am I truly willing to believe uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt? You know, whenever we make choices outside of God's will, it usually hurts somebody else. And we can definitely see how that happened with Hagar. She's kind of a victim in this whole thing. And I'm not trying to defend her, her behavior, but um, it just stinks that she had even had to be pulled into this. So many good points that Pastor Michael made. It was mentioned that Jesus, you know, before he came to this earth, was the one who appeared to Hagar to comfort her when she was, you know, mistreated. And I know that that's still a promise for us today. It's important to note that, again, God's plans for us are often multiple choice, often, and he honors our free choice, and it's my prayer that we are very careful uh, what we choose, because he will honor it. So a good question for us today would be, are we really willing to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, even if there is a delay, that our allegiance is with God? Thanks so much for listening to Elevate Retake. Elevate Retake, it's recorded weekly at Keene Church. Our audio is captured by Blake Snyder and Isaac Chang. Our sound design and editing are done by Shane Miosi and Inspire Productions. Our executive producers are Michael Gibson and Jonathan Coker. Our team includes Evelyn Elanis, Candice McCormick, Isa Manu, Semu Sialoga, and Alethea Gelbin. Special thanks to Danae Sanji and 88.3 The Journey. 
Stay connected. You can find Elevate on Instagram and Facebook at This Is Elevate TX. Currently, our services are live streamed every Saturday morning at 10:15 a.m. on the Keen Church YouTube page. We'd love to have you join us. There is always room for one more.